I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more. Clean and protect your firearms with Riptide Armory. Riptide Armory's products are military and professionally formulated and approved, featuring a groundbreaking graphene-infused ceramic coating that is safe for all surfaces, providing unmatched protection for any firearm. Discover a new standard in gun maintenance. Order your advanced cleaning kits today at RiptideArmory.com. Riptide Armory. Relentless performance for your firearms. From Mediator's World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review presented by Steel. Steel products are available only at authorized dealers. For more, go to steeldealers.com. Now, here's your host, Ryan Cal Callahan. Organizers of a hunting competition in New Zealand found themselves in international hot water last week after they proposed and then canceled a feral cat hunting competition for children. That would be a competition where the children hunt the feral cats, not the other way around. Anyway, the event had been announced as part of a June fundraiser for a school in a rural area of the country, according to the BBC. The annual competition sees hundreds of participants, some of whom are children, who compete to harvest wild pigs, deer, and hare. Entry fees go to fund the local school and pay teacher salaries. On April 14th, they announced that they were opening a feral cat category for the junior hunters. Like in Australia, feral cats in New Zealand are a menace to native animals. I mean, we should just say, like, everywhere in the world, feral cats are a menace to native animals. One biosecurity expert told Radio New Zealand that feral cats were responsible for the extinction of six bird species, as well as the decline in populations of bats, frogs, and lizards in New Zealand. The country's Department of Conservation currently poisons, traps, and shoots the cats on public land, and the animals are frequently hunted by the general public. But animal rights groups weren't about to let children help conserve native species. Organizers of the North Canterbury Hunting Competition said in a Facebook post that they received a flood of vile and inappropriate emails. They canceled the cat hunting competition on April 17th due to safety concerns for the school and their sponsors. Quote, we are disappointed and apologize for those who were excited to be involved in something that is about protecting our native birds and other vulnerable species. Animal rights activists told the BBC that they were concerned that domestic cats, you know, the ones that wear collars, would be shot by mistake during the competition. They went on to say that they should be teaching our children empathy towards animals, not handing them the tools to kill the animals that are killing the native species without empathy. I, you know, that's roughly what they said. Anyway, 
Hunters I've spoken to in New Zealand tell me that there is legitimate local concern about pet cats being shot, but the concerns about animal rights are mostly coming from the more urban city of Auckland. The animal welfare charity SAFE added in an interview with local media, we should not be handing our children the tools to kill animals. But if you do hand them those tools, folks, make sure the barrel is always pointed in a safe direction and you treat that firearm like it's loaded all the time. This week, we've got prairie chickens, trash pandas, and retirees. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. And my week was basically spent getting my life put back together after a bunch of travel. It started raining and snowing here in Bos Angeles, so I squeezed the new truck into the garage, knocked a pile of rust off of it, installed a backup camera, kind of begrudgingly, because it irks me to no end that nobody knows what I mean when I say, hey, I need my mirrors. Which, you know, backing up a truck with your side view mirrors is a time-honored skill, a test of outdoor competency, and it kills me that technology has taken that over. However, I am looking forward to backing up to the ball of the camper or the boat hitch in just one attempt. Also installed a new stereo, which is just another little computer screen, basically just mounting an iPhone on your dash these days. Weighs about 98% less than the 2005 version the rig came with, which, you know, I'm excited to see that those weight savings will be reflected in my fuel economy. You know, I'm something of a scientist myself. While doing all of this, I, of course, discovered several other projects that needed doing, managed to get those mostly done, and I even made it out to pattern some turkey shotguns and managed to screw up one turkey opportunity. Old Tom came in a little hot, caught me in the act of tree selection, and that was that. Big weekend, also cooked up a bunch of that giant Trevally or Alua, fried it in beef fat and ate that for three days straight. No nervous reactions yet, which is great because that fish is delicious. Quick note on patterning shotguns, big pieces of cardboard, big backdrops are what you need, okay? The whole idea is to read the entirety of your pellet count, see what it's up to. Whatever you do, please do not buy those awful peel-and-stick targets. They're literally just trash. You're purchasing trash. Recycle what you can. Use a cardboard box that something else came in. You'll get the same results from your shooting, you'll save a few bucks, and the end result is a patterned shotgun. And you won't be buying trash to just leave trash around. Huh? Huh? Am I getting to you? Anyway, little meat eater housekeeping. As you are all aware, the meat eater machine does not stop. We have amazing new podcasts and content coming your way as well as the hottest new clothing release of the year in the Break the Weather series from First Light. Think highly durable, windproof, and water-resistant. If you aren't into buying, well, we've launched our newest giveaway. A kick-ass chance to win $3,000 in awesome hunting gear from all of our brands, along with a personalized outfitting session with our very own Giannis Patelis. Giannis will help you pick exactly what gear you need for your hunting preferences and plans this year. The giveaway runs from now through May 21, so head on over to TheMeatEater.com forward slash giveaway to enter. Winner will be randomly picked and contacted on May 22nd. As for the upcoming content, Brent Reeves is releasing This Country Life, which can be found at the Bear Grease podcast. You may recognize Brent Reeves from several Bear Grease render episodes. Well, This Country Life really showcases the uh, soothing baritone and bass notes of Brent's voice. He really puts you right in the story. It's lovely stuff. Listen to it a little bit while I was wrenching. On top of that, Casey and Tyler, the element. 
These guys hunt lots of public land in states like Texas that don't have a lot of public land. They are launching the Buck Truck every Tuesday starting May 2nd through June 13 on the Meat Eater YouTube channel and Meat Eater website. And you know, if you uh, have been a longtime listener, we are finally releasing our Rounding Up Feral Cattle episode down in New Mexico right there on the YouTube channel too. Check that out. Let me know what you think about uh, Rounding Up Wiley and Wild Bovids out there in the uh, New Mex territory. All right, strap in, moving on. We got a lot to cover. Three state attorneys general are suing the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service for their decision to list the lesser prairie chicken as threatened and endangered under the Endangered Species Act. We covered the Wildlife Service's decision back in episode 190. The lesser prairie chicken population has been struggling for decades, and the Wildlife Service announced back in November that it had decided to break this population into two distinct segments. The northern segment, which lives in Kansas, Oklahoma, and the northeast Texas panhandle, has been listed as threatened. The southern segment, which lives in eastern New Mexico and the southwest Texas panhandle, has been listed as endangered. As you might expect, the attorneys general in Texas, Oklahoma, and Kansas aren't happy. They argue that the Wildlife Service relied on faulty science to reach their conclusions and failed to consider voluntary conservation programs already in place. They claim that the rule violates three separate federal statutes, including the Endangered Species Act, because it fails to consider all relevant factors. They also argue that this rule will place an undue burden on their residents. According to Kansas AG Chris Kobach, this listing will make drilling new oil wells in western Kansas almost impossible. It will force ranchers to get approval from federally designated agencies to graze cattle on their own property. It will have devastating impacts on Kansas ranchers, Kansas oil producers, and even Kansas wind farms. In addressing these concerns, the Wildlife Service noted that farmers can continue their routine agricultural activities on existing cultivated lands. The rule includes an exception for grazers who are following a prescribed grazing plan developed by a qualified party. And the service noted that only about 18% of the analysis area in these states is considered suitable chicken habitat. So they believe developers will be able to avoid those areas by taking the chickens into account early in their planning process as part of their project sitting decisions. Slightly smaller than the aptly named greater prairie chicken, the lesser prairie chicken is a type of grouse that lives in arid short grass regions of the southern Great Plains. The National Audubon Society estimates that there were as many as 2 million birds in the U.S. prior to European settlement. That population has dwindled to about 32,000 individuals across the five-state region where the birds can be found today. They've also lost 90% of their original habitat, as grassland ecosystems are in fact the most threatened ecosystems we have on the planet right now. Neither side of this debate argues that we shouldn't be concerned about the lesser prairie chicken. The question is, are the current voluntary conservation efforts enough, or should the federal government step in and impose additional land-use restrictions? As with so many conservation issues, that question will ultimately be decided by the courts. You may not be able to lobby the judge who will decide this case, but the attorney general's offices in Texas, Oklahoma, and Kansas are all elected by popular vote. Just some food for thought for you. If, uh, you know, you care strongly about this lawsuit, one way or the other, those are the folks that you got to contact. You know, it just makes me think, if only we would have known about the declining populations of lesser prairie chickens and the state of our grassland habitats, surely we would have done something. Two million to 32,000. You know, that's uh, the type of math that does scream endangered. So, yeesh. Moving on to the bear desk. 
Bears are coming out of hibernation across North America, and one black bear in British Columbia figured out a way to pack on the calories fast. Sharon Rossell told the Canadian Broadcasting Company that she woke up around 3 a.m. last Thursday to find a bear rummaging through her Jeep. She watched from her balcony in Earl's Cove, B.C. as the bear smashed her car window and began guzzling sodas like a middle schooler at a sleepover. Rossell says the bear cracked open the cans with its teeth and then slurped down the syrupy liquid. The bear worked its way through a whopping 69 cans of orange soda, cola, and root beer. Rossell told the outlet that there were 72 cans of soda in the car. It's unclear why the bear didn't finish the job, but uh, the last three cans were diet soda. So anyway, Rossell tried to throw water at the bear. That didn't convince it to leave. She tried explaining that she needed to take her car to work the next morning, and she even told the bear that she was a hunter. Either the bear couldn't hear her over the sound of crumpling aluminum, or it knew that baiting is illegal in British Columbia. Either way, it continued its thirsty Thursday celebration until the soda was mostly gone. Rossell, who had purchased the drinks to sell in her food truck, said that the white leather interior of her Jeep will need to be replaced. This isn't the first time we've covered a story about a bear sniffing through the car doors, and it probably won't be the last. If you live in bear country and enjoy a, you know, a syrupy orange crush, yeah, you know, you've been warned. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam motor treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Lately, I've been telling you guys about land.com, the site that can help you find that little patch of ground to call your own where you can do all the hunting, fishing, hanging out with family you want. Land could be a great investment. Getting your own piece of land is something that can both generate income over time and also generate a lot of memories for generations to come. It's an investment you get to use and enjoy and take care of while it works for you. And any good investor will tell you to start investing sooner than later. Well, they've got hundreds of thousands of rural listings from all across America. Land.com can help you find properties for hunting, fishing, a lake house, a hobby farm, or if you just want to start a rental business slash family compound as a way to better secure future generations. Land.com will also help connect you with the right agent that specializes in rural real estate. So enough dreaming about it. Land.com is the place to find and invest in your open space. Are you looking for relentless performance for your firearms? If so, Riptide Armory is the ultimate destination for superior gun cleaning and protection. Riptide Armory offers American-made innovative products out of Arvada, Colorado. Whether it's the delicate finish of a collectible or the rugged exterior of a tactical weapon, you can clean without risk of damage. Visit RiptideArmory.com and discover the difference true quality can make for your firearms. Riptide Armory, a veteran-founded business.
moving on to the raccoon desk. Speaking of mischievous animals, Iowa is having raccoon trouble. The raccoon population has surged over 268% in the last 16 years and increased 23% in the last year alone. This tracks with national trends that have seen raccoon populations increase more than 20-fold since 1930. Like deer and waterfowl, trash pandas do pretty well living alongside people. So the Iowa Natural Resources Commission and the state legislature decided to take action. Earlier this month, the commission voted to establish a continuous open season for hunting and trapping raccoons on private land. Then, last week, the state legislature passed a bill that would allow rural residents to kill nuisance raccoons, opossums, and skunks without being a state-licensed trapper. If you live in Iowa and aren't within city limits, you can do what you need to do at any time of the year to deal with one of these animals if they're causing problems. The bill passed both chambers by comfortable margins, but one Democratic state senator made headlines after he explained his very personal reason for voting in favor of the bill. Senator Bill Dotzler has a bus he uses once a year to haul riders to a cycling event. This year, he found the bus had been occupied by an unwelcome visitor. I have a, a driver's window where it's a little slide-over thing and there's a latch on it. Well, I didn't have it completely latched, I guess, but it was shut. And a raccoon crawled up on the hood of my bus, hung off the mirror, and got his paws, his their regular hands, slid open the window and got in there and had a feast inside my bus. But the worst part about it, the worst part of the aggravation is I had a ragbri hat from Glenwood and that raccoon defecated in my hat. Raccoons do indeed have, quote, uh, regular hands, but they aren't exactly like ours. Instead of four fingers and a thumb, raccoons have five little fingers, which they use for everything from unlatching bus windows to washing their food, in fact, their Latin name, Procyon Lotor, translates literally to before dog washer. This designation comes from a common raccoon behavior in which they pick up food items from the water's edge and rub them between their paws. They may not be washing their food, but it sure does look like it. Unfortunately for Senator Dotzler, their personal hygiene doesn't extend to indoor plumbing. Moving on to the legislative desk. State legislatures are winding down across the country, but there are still many bills that are heating up. Listener Jesse Latin wrote in to tell me about a bill in Nevada that would prohibit anyone under the age of 21 from handling a semi-automatic rifle or shotgun under any circumstances. Current law prohibits the ownership of long guns for anyone under the age of 18, but it makes exceptions for kids 14 and older if they're hunting, at the range, or participating in a competition. Not only would Nevada AB 355 raise the purchasing age to 21 for semi-automatic firearms, it would also remove these exceptions. So, if you're a 15-year-old kid who wants to hunt ducks with a semi-automatic shotgun, which is extremely common, you're out of luck, even if you're with a parent or guardian. The same would apply to a 17-year-old kid who wants to take a firearm safety class, or a 20-year-old kid who wants to use an AR-15 in a three-gun competition. Can anyone remind me what uh, the age of, uh, earliest age you can join the military is? Like 17, right? With parental approval? A couple of semi-automatic uh, firearms there, and quite a few bases in Arizona, I believe. This bill passed the Assembly on a 26-14 vote and is headed for the Senate. If you have thoughts for your Nevada state senators on this bill, tell them what you think about AB 355. 
Moving on to the home state, Senator Steve Daines of Montana is joined by 23 other U.S. Senators last week as he reintroduced a bill to prohibit banning lead ammo and tackle on federal public land. You may remember last year when the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service announced that it would be opening new wildlife refuges to hunting and fishing while also phasing out the use of lead tackle and ammunition on some of those refuges. The agency also agreed in a settlement with the Center for Biological Diversity to consider phasing out lead tackle and ammunition on other parcels of public land. This bill from Senator Daines, known as the Protecting Access for Hunters and Anglers Act, would block the Fish and Wildlife Service, the Bureau of Land Management, and the U.S. Forest Service for banning lead tackle and ammunition. These federal agencies would only be allowed to ban lead use if the agency determines that lead is the primary cause of a decline in a wildlife population in a specific unit of federal land or water based on field data from that specific unit. The lead ban essentially bans uh, broad banning. Does that make sense? Anyway, the lead ban would also have to be approved by the state wherever that unit is located. This bill failed to garner enough votes to pass last year, but it still enjoys the support of several large outdoor organizations, including the American Sport Fishing Association, the Sportsman's Alliance, the National Deer Association, and the Boone and Crockett Club. If you want to get involved, get in touch with your U.S. Senators. On the other end of the spectrum, a bill in New York would prohibit the use of lead ammunition in the taking of wildlife on state-owned lands and on lands contributing surface water to New York City. You know, New York City is the place with all the super aging infrastructure that carries water to people's pipes that's um, highly contaminated because of the age of the pipes and, you know, that place. Anyway, the bill A5728 addresses the little tiny chunks of lead that get shot at deer where they may decompose and eventually that water drains into New York City somehow. So pay attention. A5728 passed the state assembly and is currently being considered by the Senate. The New York chapter of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers opposes this legislation, and I think they do a pretty good job summarizing where many in the hunting community are on this topic. Quote, While BHA encourages sportsmen and women to consider the voluntary use of non-lead ammunition, our experiences in other states show that a high percentage of hunters making the transition did so as the result of hunter education. If you want to change behavior, you need to buy in from the people affected. In this case, that's the hunting community. In contrast, a ban could lead to negative hunter interactions with rangers and ECOs. That's Environmental Conservation Officers, I believe. These ECOs and rangers are already stretched thin, and it would be difficult to enforce in the field given the look of polymer-tipped copper-jacketed lead bullets. The BHA also notes that this policy could harm rural communities where non-lead ammunition is scarce and expensive. If you'd like to weigh in, get in touch with your New York State Senators. Moving on to the Wildlife Management Desk. Biologists will often say that managing people is uh, just as difficult as managing wildlife. People have strong opinions about wild animals, and sometimes the real trouble starts after the animal problem has been dealt with. That's what town officials in Palmetto Bay, Florida, discovered after they decided to remove a flock of invasive ducks from a local park. The Miami Herald reports that an elementary school official complained about, quote, rogue ducks on their campus. He said that one of these Muscovy ducks had even chased a toddler who hit her head on a picnic table while running away. Town officials hired Trapper within days of receiving that message, and it didn't take long for a resident to notice a decrease in the duck population. Some residents filed public records requests to figure out where the ducks were going, and they discovered that about 20 ducks had been removed by Miami Wildlife Removal Company. 
One batch of records included an image of dead ducks lined up on the lawn. As you've probably guessed by now, town residents were incensed. When I opened up those pictures, I was sick for a second, Mark Merwitzer told the Herald. That was nasty. Terrible. That did not look humane. There's a picture there of a duck bloodied up, and there's blood on the torso. That hit, and it hit really hard. Merwitzer and others claim that the ducks aren't the real culprit. Instead, they blame another invasive waterfowl species, Egyptian geese. A resident named Tone Colley said, quote, Muscovies are friendly. Muscovies didn't get in anyone's way that I've ever noticed. But Egyptian geese, they're definitely a whole different ballgame. A whole different ballgame is right. It's like a Sharks versus the Jets situation out here in Palmetto, Florida. The more you read about this story, the more you realize that this isn't really about the ducks. One of the most vocal opponents of duck trapping is a man named David Singer. Singer used to be on the town council, but he was ousted by Steve Cody, who's been supporting the duck removal effort. Singer subsequently sued Cody for a million dollars and accused Cody of attempted extortion. Then earlier this month, Singer posted an image of Hitler on Facebook and accused the town's mayor of looking for a, quote, final solution to the duck problem. Cody sent the image to Singer's employer, and Singer was promptly fired from his job where he'd worked since 1998. The drama does not stop there. About two dozen residents held a candlelight vigil for the slain ducks where they chanted, Save Our Ducks, and held signs that say, I was supposed to be protected with an image of a bird below. You can find video of this vigil online where you won't be surprised to learn that most of the attendees are of uh, retirement age. I don't want to look up the stats for Palmetto, Florida, but it's safe to say if people are doing this for one pond of invasive waterfowl, everything else in Palmetto, Florida must be absolutely fantastic. Muscovy ducks are native to South and Central America, but they were introduced in Florida in the mid-60s. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has issued a control order for the species, which stipulates that landowners can kill them on their property without a permit. The ducks compete with native species for food, and they can also spread disease. Remember all those episodes that we talked about highly pathogenic avian influenza? Well, you know, hey, could happen. A parks employee who declined to give his name said the ducks are most definitely aggressive, especially during mating season or when they've learned to rely on humans for food. Once again, looking at you, retirees, town officials say that along with the trapping program, they're considering an ordinance that would prohibit people from feeding the ducks. You know, hard-hitting stuff there, Palmetto, Florida. Moving on to the mail desk. A few episodes back, we covered a Japanese vending machine that sells frozen packages of local bear meat. A listener named Chris wrote in to tell me that bear meat isn't the only unorthodox vending machine meat being sold in Japan. Chris is a U.S. sailor stationed about an hour away from these meat machines. He visited one recently, but instead of purchasing bear meat, he opted for whale meat. He bought a frozen filet mignon-shaped whale steak for about 23 bucks and pan-cooked it medium-rare using oil and sea salt. He said, quote, Taste me like beef to the second power, while the fat adds a slight fishy taste. I'm not exactly sure what beef to the second power is, but I think it's a good thing. It's like uh, eating a rice-fattened uh, bootlip or a spoonbill, tuxedo duck. It's real good, and it's got a little something extra in there, too. It's an understatement to say that whales and whale meat are controversial topics in Japan, but the country resumed commercial whaling off its shores in 2019. 
In 2022, whalers caught 270 animals, which is where most of the country's whale meat comes from. Whale meat is a traditional food in Japan, but consumption has fallen in recent decades. These vending machines are designed as a way to increase the demand. You know, vending machine on every corner. Soda pop, bear meat, whale meat, right at your fingertips. All you need and so much more. That's all I've got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to write in to A-S-K-C-A-L, that's AskCal, at TheMeatEater.com, and let me know what's going on in your neck of the woods. Also, if you're in the need to clean up that yard that's starting to poke through the snow, go to www.SteelDealers.com, find a local knowledgeable steel dealer near you. They're going to get you set up with what you need, and they won't try to send you home with what you don't. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next week. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel, gum, and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more.